Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we're talking about the uh, transphobia moral panic that's been happening. Uh, We have Michael Hobbs, who is a podcast entrepreneur, uh, journalist, and uh, man about town. And Evan Urquhart, who is a trans man himself and also a journalist and writer who has uh, been publishing a blog himself at assignedmedia.org. And we are talking about, you know, the, 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 the recent sort of frenzy of transphobic media coverage and science journalism at the New York Times and elsewhere. And, you know, what that's about, where it comes from, how it's mistaken, how it's, in fact, shitty, terrible science journalism, and, you know, what should be done about it. Yeah, and how it relates to reactionary efforts to propose and sometimes pass uh, terrible laws banning gender-affirming care and and um, and how this relates to other reactionary movements to uh, ban the teaching of history, to ban books and, um, and trying to understand really why, uh, liberals or various institutions like the New York Times that fancy themselves as centrist or liberal are echoing many of the reactionary rights talking points and making fundamental journalistic and scientific errors in advancing these talking points and, and contributing to, um, this misrepresentation of what's going on in reality and playing into phobia uh, and uh, all kinds of framing problems that uh, that yeah I think are discussed really well in the in the conversation and, and even you know we get to to kind of practical advice for parents since part of the the media coverage is emphasizing the perspective of the parent which is problematic in many ways um, but also I think it was really cool to see how. Um, you know, if you're listening and you are a parent and you are, you have some concerns, uh, you know, here's, here are the facts and also here are some, some useful things to think about rather than, uh, what the media is, is telling parents to, to think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be, you know, if, if I were to summarize our discussion, it would be don't, don't panic. Uh, the, this, this trans stuff. Maybe it's a little confusing. Maybe it's a little alarming. It's really not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Um, it doesn't happen. And more than that, that trans people are people. Yes. Who have, you know, they, they deserve care and, and dignity and respect and love. And, uh, and the, the, the fear comes from a kind of ignorance that turns often into hate or turns into uh, a kind of, um, you know, isolation and rejection of the humanity of these people, uh, young and old. Uh, but in the case of a lot of these stories, young people who, who need to be affirmed, uh, maybe more than anyone because of the stage in life that they're at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and you know, the, 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 the worst thing that you can do if you're in, you know, involved with a trans person or you have a trans child in some way is to flip out about it. Uh, you know, that, 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 that would, that is the thing that would really damage your relationship with the person. Um, people are people. They, they can, f- they can figure out, uh, you know, what they need with the, them, 
their their own instincts and the advice of medical professionals and just be supportive be decent human being to the the people around you it's it's not that difficult and that's our our radical left anchor proposal <laughs> exactly so uh let's let's get into our interview with Michael Hobbs and Evan Urquhart right now Michael and, and Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I wanted to have you 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 guys on because you know we're talking of, we're talking about a sort of like transphobic panic that has uh, really blown up um, in the mainstream media over the past I don't know six to eight months, and uh, I, I think there's been a real lack of. Uh, you know, frankly, serious journalism and serious science, science journalism applied to this subject. And um, so I think it's interesting from a scientific perspective and also from a journalistic perspective about, you know, like, like w what is going on here? What evidence do we have? And, uh, you know, what, what are people missing in this, this sort of coverage? So, um, I, I thought I thought we could start with you, Evan. Uh, so we, I think the, the the ordinary people are kind of confused about this trans stuff. I think you know it's like this. Uh, you know, maybe maybe somebody who like myself grew up in like the 1990s when it was an intense climate of homophobia. You know, gay was the the uh, you know just just like synonym for bad things, uh, lame things. And oh well, we had to come to grips with this gay marriage stuff. Okay, I'm I'm cool with this now. Oh no, we got a new thing. We got to deal with trans stuff. Oh, what is this about? And you know that's wrong in in many ways. But I, I think that's probably how a lot of people are. They're they're up in the air. They don't know how to think about this. And so, can you give us a rundown of like like trans science 101? How many people? What fraction of the population are trans? And, uh, you know, what is a sort of general, uh, treatment like that, that is recommended by, you know, scientists and medical professionals in terms of helping people to like live their best lives for, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So, um, so I am transgender myself. I yes. transitioned sort of later in life. So I transitioned, started hormones around 37, and I'm almost 46 now. Uh, so it's been a while, but I kind of came into it late. In terms of how many trans people there are, are um, so almost all of this science is, you know, there's, there's not a ton of agreement. There are different ranges. Um, I tend to go with a 1% number for four for sort of a, like a gut check of how common it seems. And then when I'm trying to be really conservative, I will say um, 0 0.5. 0.5% uh, is when they looked at um, all age groups, including much older folks who had, you know, great psychological reason to stay in the closet and be suppressed, and much younger kids who are kind of getting into that, like, maybe 1.5% um, range, they get 0 0.5. So it's probably not 0.5%. If anything, it's probably a little, a little more, but I tend to go with that when I'm being conservative and with 1% when I'm kind of, you know, my best guess. Now it's, 
really interesting because the history of um, treating people who, you know, felt gender dysphoria or who felt like they should be members of the opposite sex was um, was really to get those people to stop this delusional belief. And, you know, like they tried psychiatry tried really, really hard to get people to, you know, just be a man or just be a woman and just be comfortable with that. And there was sort of a repeated history of trying that and failing it. And so kind of very slowly, um, and the history goes back, you know, to, to first starting this, I think the first, you know, the first surgery was maybe in the 20s or 30s or something. But, you know, there was kind of a slow process of, you know, giving people what they wanted, which was to have help to look and sound and be perceived more as the opposite sex. And then very slowly, they started saying, oh, this works. And the other thing we were trying to do doesn't work. And people are miserable, and they're in and out of mental hospitals, and they're homeless, and they're killing themselves. So like, very slowly, medical science kind of came around, especially for adults, to say, um, okay, so this is where we're going to go. We're going to help them to live as the sex that they feel they are. And of course, there are also non-binary people. So it's not just trans men and trans women, but, you know, kind of the simplified thing is we help people who are assigned male to live as women and people who are assigned female to live as men. More recently, they started looking at people who felt this way younger um, and sort of found out that if you can intervene younger, you don't have the permanent effects of going through puberty, um, you know, the wrong puberty. So, you know, if you are a trans woman, you don't have a lower voice and, and there is a vocal surgery, but like a lower voice is something that usually is going to be with you for the rest of your life. If um, you're a trans man, your breasts don't grow. So then you may not have to have surgery for that. Um, so kind of very slowly and very hesitantly, they started using um, puberty blockers, which just delays puberty so that um, kids can kind of think about, you know, what they want. And you can kind of get ready for an older child to make a more informed decision before there's anything permanent. So puberty blockers really are reversible. There are a few kind of minor side effects, but they're pretty well understood drugs that are pretty safe and they don't have a, you know, a permanent impact. Um, and then starting cross-sex hormones and occasionally, not usually genital surgery, but occasionally like a chest vascularization surgery for these kind of older teens who have been, um, you know, comfortable and doing well in this gender for, you know, for a decent amount of time. Yeah. So th that's interesting on a, on a number of levels because it, you know, it, like it's not, it's not as new, I think, as, as people perceive, like this has been going on for nearly a hundred years in terms of, you know, like the American medical establishment, like dealing with it seriously. And, you know, you look, you could see narratives and in the histories of many cultures going back thousands of years. This is a thing that's always been with the human uh, species. Um, Michael, maybe, maybe you could jump in here to talk about this notion of it being like, like how difficult it is to access care for right. the, you know, for, 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 for trans folks, uh, th this notion, you know, we'll talk about it later in a second, but like, 
suddenly in the in the American medical system, there's just like there's just endocrinologists on every street corner, and they're going to bundle you yeah. into a white van, and they're gonna they're gonna trans you. They're they're gonna yeah. little kids hoses of hormones that are spraying at the kids <laughs> at all times. There's playing in fountains of hormones in all the parks these days. <laughs> Insurance companies love paying for yeah. gender uh, exactly. confirmation surgery. With the American Medical Association, just really just loves transing young kids. I I started looking into this roughly one year ago, kind of like not just like for my own edification, really, because there had been all of these stories coming out really since the the infamous Atlantic cover story in 2018, basically just like relentlessly asking this question, like are are too many kids transitioning or are kids being given care too fast? Are we not exercising the due care that you would want considering that kids are sort of in this adolescent period where like, of course, you're playing around with your identity and you're a goth and you're gay and you're bi and people are changing so quickly during this time. And, you know, is it the case that too many kids are getting irreversible medications and surgeries during this period? And so there's just this, this trickle of feature stories coming out about this that has now, of course, become a flood. But once you start looking into it, it it doesn't hold up to like the slightest scrutiny. And I, I one thing that really bothers me about sort of our community, like the cisgenders, like we have not adequately like had a conversation among ourselves about like <laughs> our our own anxieties, I think are really driving a lot of this. So Evan knows these, these numbers better than I do, but like the minute you start looking into the number of kids who are getting these procedures every year, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent, right? So there's roughly 30 million kids between 10 and 17 in the United States. And the latest year for which we have data, it was only 1,300 kids were getting puberty blockers, 4,200 kids were getting hormones. And these top surgeries, you know, they're mutilating kids, the stuff that the right is always screaming about, fewer than 300 of those surgeries were performed nationwide, right? So this is like one, one in, one in, I can't even, okay, I can't do the math live, but it's very rare (laughs) that these are, that these procedures are happening. So just at the most fundamental, like kind of logistical level, it's like, well, when you're saying too many kids are being pushed into transition, there's just not that many kids transitioning. So it's not, it's, it's, it's not very plausible. And then once you start looking at this in a more qualitative way, you find huge barriers to accessing care. So if you think about a, a kid that figures out that he's trans when he's, you know, 11 or something, he then needs to tell his parents, right? So he needs affirming parents. A huge number of trans kids do not have affirming parents. Like it's, it's something like 40% of trans kids have been homeless. That's not because they love being homeless. That's because their parents are abusive or kick them out. Like they're, these are parental relationships that are driving this overwhelmingly, right? So they need very affirming parents to the point where they'll actually get them these appointments. They need to have a primary care provider, right? So they need to have parents who are essentially middle class enough that they have some sort of health care. Like we all know how the American healthcare system works. Not everybody's connected. They need a primary care provider that trusts them enough that this kid is not doing some fake, you know, you say you're trans, but you're not really. He'll refer them to a gender clinic. They, they, they need a gender clinic that is nearby. There's only around 60 gender clinics nationwide, which sounds like a lot, but it's a really big country. And these gender clinics are wildly oversubscribed. So most of the providers that I've spoken to, they talk about wait, wait times of somewhere between six months to a year 
and it can be much longer. It can every once in a while be a little bit shorter, right? So then once you get in to the gender clinic, you then need to go through the assessment process. And that, depending on where you are, depending on the kind of proof that you have, that can then be another one to two years by the time you're getting any, especially hormones, because then we get into the sort of more irreversible territory and puberty blockers. It's reversible and it's, you know, it's time is much more of a factor there. But typically you're being assessed for more than a year by the time you get these hormones. And then once you're on the hormones, it's then two, three, sometimes four years before you're getting mastectomies. I mean, we see this right in the numbers, right? If it, if it was that easy to get the mastectomies, we'd have more than 280 kids per year getting these surgeries, right? So it's like, and then I, I forgot to mention the costs, right? Then your insurance provider probably doesn't cover it. Oftentimes you have to get letters. Oftentimes you have to prove things like I socially transitioned five years ago. Well, like how would you prove that exactly? <laughs> there's There's all kinds of stuff to get Insurance covered it. A lot of these procedures just straight up aren't covered by insurance companies under 18. So you have to pay out of pocket. We're talking about anywhere from like ten to $30,000 for various procedures and various medications. So it's like all of these articles and this entire panic rests on the idea that kids are being pushed into transition. And it, it just requires you know parents and medical providers and hospitals and insurance companies to act in ways – that aren't plausible. And I, I don't think yeah, that has yeah. been communicated clearly to the American population. No, that's, that's great, Michael. And if I if just, you know, um, Evan, if you want to follow up there, but uh, very quickly, I want to separate two reasons why the, the, the moral panic is bananas, given what you just said. One is the first bit of that, which is the idea that this is sweeping the nation is, is crazy. And if I did my math right, it's what, 0.01% of kids or something like oh, that? Oh, thank you for doing it. I'm sorry. Right? I just embarrassed myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but the other piece that you talked about is, is to me, even maybe more salient because the numbers don't matter if it's not a bad thing. And in fact, yes. if it's actually a good thing that helps, <laughs> yes. right? like actually may, maybe what you do, <laughs> maybe what you described is that it's too bureaucratic or there's like, yeah. like maybe the problem is that people aren't getting the care that they yes. need. And so, so I want to ask uh, Evan to speak to that a little bit. And maybe also for people who don't know, define what gender dysphoria and, um, and gender affirming care are because part of the s- smaller even percentages are the idea that there's detransitioned people, people that are regretting what they did. And then that's another huge piece of the moral panic, right? Yeah. So let's start with, um, you know, gender dysphoria is some kind of a sense that the sex you were assigned at birth is wrong and that you, you know, that you want to be perceived, you feel yourself to be a different gender. Uh, gender affirming care is what we've just been talking about. It's some kind of, it's some kind of treatment or intervention to, um, to help you be perceived the way you feel. Um, and, you know, in the trans community, we talk about, you know, there's like a physical dysphoria or a social dysphoria. There are people, you know, especially young people, because they really do actually have a more expansive view of gender who, who don't want surgery, you know, who are just like, Hey, this is me. This is my name. These are my pronouns. And it's like, one of the things I really want to get across is that if you really are concerned about over medicalizing these kids, then just use the kid's pronoun. You know what I mean? Like if this kid is saying, Hey, I'm, you know, Alex with a Y, my pronouns are they, them. What's going to push that kid to feel like they need to get top surgery is if you say, I don't take you seriously until you get top surgery. 
You know what I mean? So it's really important to separate the kind of social steps, which are completely benign and completely reversible, from the medical steps, which I think people are nervous about. And as Michael, I think, put very eloquently, the problem right now is probably that there's a little bit too much gatekeeping and there's a little bit, um, you know, not enough access. But I think most people would feel like, yeah, for someone under 18, you want some process, you want some assessments, you want some time. I, you really want the parents to be involved if at all possible. I'm a big kids are best with their parents and difficult parents are better than no parents person. You know what I mean? But a little less barriers for some of these kids. Um, when the medical evidence is, is really strong, I was kind of trying to review it. And, you know, it's a lot of little studies um, that all kind of point in, in a similar direction. But, um, you know, I, I was looking at a, a study that looked at, I think it was 200 um, 16 and 17 year olds who'd gotten, uh, you know, top surgery, who's gotten, you know, mastectomies, and two of them regretted it, <laughs> you know? So it's like when you compare, and this is getting into the detransition piece, which is, you know, no medical treatment is 100%. There are all sorts of reasons why a diagnosis might be wrong or why the treatment just might not work for a certain person. And that's something that we all understand with medicine. I mean, you almost certainly are or know someone in your life who's, you know, allergic to a common drugs and, and they just can't take NSAIDs or they can't, they, they can't take penicillin. You know what I mean? But when it's because people are so, so crazy, and I mean cis people, and I'm sorry, are so crazy about gender they can't kind of look at it and be like, yeah, you'd kind of expect to see, a, you know, 2%, maybe even 5% who feel like, oh, this isn't really right for me. And I'm kind of going in a different direction. People find those people and they kind of freak out and they, they really feel like there can't be even one who right. feels like they want to go in a different direction for this to be, you know, evidence-based medical care. It's also so interesting to me because the, the, the conversation about detransitioners has been totally hijacked by these like political detransitioners yes. who are like, I, you know, I want to ban the kind of care that I received, but those aren't even the majority of detransitioners. Like there's not even that many. They are so much the minority. Yeah. Like, detransitioners are lovely people. Many of them just feel like I was kind of pushed to identify as a binary trans right. person. And I feel like I'm non-binary and I don't want as many medical interventions as I thought right. I once did. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe they're exactly the, the – like the younger generation that you said that are less – uh, worried about the social acceptance piece and don't feel the need to kind of react against the rejection in a way to 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 sh prove to others who they really are or something like that and and maybe some people got more comfortable after the fact and thought oh I wish I had been more confident back then in who I was or something like that right yeah yeah I, absolutely I was interviewing a trans woman the other night and she said one of her friends is a detransitioner and says that like I I haven't gone back to being a man but now I'm just a different weirder gender. It's like people are kind of on – people are on a journey a lot of times. And then there's also the detransitioners that are like they become a trans woman and they realize that the world is really, really shitty to trans women. And they're like, I can't do this. And they go back. And so the, 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 the conversation about youth transition has been I think completely hijacked by this, this, this I think really disingenuous question of like why isn't anyone talking about the detransitioners when that's all we talk about. Is the detransitioners right? There's yeah. there has not been one article about youth transition that does not explicitly center a detransitioner, 
right? So yeah. it's concern trolling to put it nicely, right? Exactly. And it's like, you just keep getting the same thing on. Oh, no, no one wants to talk about the detransitioners. It's like, no, I'm, I'm kind of done talking about the detransitioners. We've, we've been talking about them for four years. It's really not representative of like the trans experience when survey after survey, like Evan, you mentioned the one that you read. I just would, I just read one the other day that was 68 people who got top surgery and 67 liked it. And one person said they regretted it sometimes. <laughs> Not even like I totally right. regret it. It's like eh, every once in a while, I think it wasn't for me. Like, what other procedures in the American medical system have regret rates this low? Like, why are yeah. we talking about this? Well, that that I, I actually pulled up a I pulled up a study. It was just sort of lo- like looking around Google Scholar uh, for for just like surgical regret in general. Um, that was a it's a <clears throat> meta analysis of um, surgery eight hundred and eighty nine studies uh, in, and seventy three patient studies and six physician studies included. Um, about cancer, breast and prostate cancers being the most common, self-reported patient regret was relatively uncommon with average prevalence across studies of 14.4%. So almost 15% of people in these studies who had gotten surgery for largely cancer stuff regretted doing it for whatever reason. It's a, yeah. it's a risk in any medical care. You do it, it might not work out. But there's a flip side to that decision, which is the risk of not doing it. Right. Um, and maybe, I don't know, Evan or Michael, whoever, if, if you're familiar with these numbers, uh, uh, what is what is the risk if people have, you know, uh, uh, have done studies on trans youth who are prevented from transitioning and what effects that might have in terms of people's mental health, risk of suicide and that sort of thing. So it's a lot of times a um, a sort of concern trolley thing is to ask for double blind studies, and they don't really do those with like life saving medical care. Yeah, um, right. So you know, so they, they they don't compare like we gave this kid something that they we thought was going to save their life, and then we just didn't give it to this other kid. Which ones of them you know died? But um, you know, so. So they have to study kids who get the intervention and kids who don't for re- you know, for reasons of their own. Um, but they find that the, um, the puberty blockers in particular are very powerful for youth. Um, and they think it's because they start them younger. And so there's less time to be having this gender incongruence that you go through with puberty, feeling like you're going through the wrong puberty. Um, so there's less anxiety. There's less depression. Um, kind of the younger they get kids, but there is also less anxiety and depression with cross-sex hormones. There's less with, you know, um, with surgery and stuff. I mean, these are very, it's exactly like Michael is saying, like people just aren't, doctors are not going and saying, let's cut these girls breasts off. You know what I mean? Like that is like, and parents aren't going along with that. You know what I mean? Like it is a very well, so, you know, the, the medical system isn't amazing. There's always emerging evidence. But, like, compared to other treatments that are less politicized, the body of evidence is very, very strong. I, I like to talk about being a teenager who had severe depression. And this was, I was, this was also in the 90s. And I had no idea about being trans or that there was anything you could do. And I was on a lot of mental health drugs that have actually kind of gnarly side effects. And, um, 
and not great studies, you know, proving their efficacy, you know, and were never tested in children because they very often don't, you know, test things in children. They just, you know, reduce the dosage and, and hope that it works the same as for adults. And if I can like pull rank as a gay guy here, the, one of the <laughs> things that really bugs me about like the concern trolling narratives on this is that what you often hear is like we're rushing kids into transition. A lot of these kids aren't really trans. They just have like mental health problems, right? So like they're – she's not trans. She's depressed, right? Or she's got PTSD or she's suicidal or whatever else. But that's something that they said about gay people for decades, right? That there's no point in giving gay people rights because these people are like they're depressed, they're sex freaks, they're using drugs, they're suicides, they're in some kind of frenzy and there's no such thing as gayness. And so of course we shouldn't recognize gay relationships because gay people don't even really exist, right? And it's so frustrating to see word for word yeah. the same rhetoric playing out right now about trans kids, right? Obviously kids with mental health challenges need to have like some qualitative assessment before they're given any drugs. But – Part of the reason why they're depressed and suicidal is because they're trans. <laughs> the surgeries and the drugs are to treat the depression. So it's completely insane to say that, oh, we should restrict medical care because these kids are depressed when that's the reason they're getting the medical care. I would love to connect this to the New York Times coverage uh, if you guys are up for it, just because this is – I mean the parallel to me is so obvious to like conversion therapy yeah. and, and, and telling people that they that they just need to get their, their mind straight and get healthy in their mind and then they'll realize they're not actually gay. Um, and then similar to what we, we mentioned before about medical procedures, uh, you know, th this idea that like – uh, the New York Times would write an article just about, you know, teenage girls who regret their uh, abortions and, and like an anti-abortion yeah. uh, <laughs> piece based on that, right? Uh, what, what's with the liberals in the New York Times who seemingly understood the homophobia and the, the fascist kind of attack on um, on these other – on choice and, and on, uh, you know, other queer issues? Is it – I mean, what's your take on, on why this kind of embrace of the right wing kind of talking points and, and this kind of uh, interest over these last few months and, and really writing so many pieces uh, that echo this nonsense? I want to hear you talk about this, Evan. What, what's your view on the cisgenders? What's going on with the cisgenders? <laughs> well, I mean, the the Republican Party decided to make trans issues it's like new wedge and i mean i'm sure they had poll like you know they're evil but they're smart to at least a certain extent um i'm sure they had polling that you know um suggested that and i think also that you know a mainstream paper feels like well we need to take this seriously because one of the two major parties is you know saying all of these things and then i think that what happens is that um cisgender reporters who have no background in the topic like go in the first time they're ever writing about it. They have, you know, some, I would say weak and often fairly benign biases, but you know, they're, they're scared. They have, they're, they're nervous that, you know, that cisgender people might be, you know, transitioning falsely and, and regret it. They have those kind of normal fears and then they get snowed by a lot of very hardcore conservative activists who kind of cosplay as yeah. middle American parents who share their concerns. You know what I mean? And they get kind of, and, you know, unfortunately, they also talk to trans people who are saying, look, you're going to be talking to all these activists and they're going to snow you. But one of the problems with transphobia is that um, you have a credibility de deficit just by being trans. People perceive us as being activists 
just because we're trans. You know, it's it's the New York Times in their response to that contributor's letter called their own contributors ac- advocates <laughs> because they were trans or they were supporting trans people. You know what I mean? So, so I think that these reporters are very skeptical of what trans people are saying and are not skeptical enough about what, you know, conservative activists are are saying, and then they get snowed kind of one after another. And I, I really think that some of these pieces are worse than others. Um, but sort of the cumulative effect is like, the best of them are saying like, well, there's evidence behind it, but we're, we're also kind of nervous. And then the worst are just kind of taking stenography for these conservative parents these extreme anti-trans group and acting like, oh, this person always voted Democrat, but they hate trans people. It's weird, but they don't oh, say they hate trans one. people. That's they just have concerns. Trope. Oh, I'm a liberal, but I had no choice <laughs> but to join the yeah. lawsuit against <laughs> the local gender clinic. It's like, oh, I really feel sorry for this person. <laughs> they love to say they're a lifelong Democrat or they're a liberal or whatever. And yeah. maybe sometimes it's even true. I'm not, I'm not accusing all of these people of lying. Some of them are, but <laughs> You know, yeah, maybe sometimes it's even true. Can I yeah, okay? Th- can I read a paragraph from one of these stories? Sure. I'm so I'm so mad about this coverage. I like cannot get over how irresponsible this is. And I I Evan, I think you're right. I think that these reporters go into it open minded, or what they they perceive themselves as open minded, and they get worked by these anti-trans yes. advocacy organizations under the guise of like you. I'm just a concerned parent, right? I think, you know, the just statistically speaking, the vast majority of parents are cisgender, you know, middle-aged cisgender people. And there's all kinds of anxieties that just kind of bubble up when you're a middle-aged person, right? About like kids these days are spoiled. There's these new technologies, right? Kids are always on their phones, right? And then you kind of look around and there's these kids, they're saying they're non-binary and they're using new pronouns and they got piercings and blue hair. And like, there's this kind of like madness that overtakes you. And I think you don't really realize that it's happening to you and you don't realize the extent to which you're projecting your biases outward. And it's it's really telling to me how many of these articles are written explicitly from the point of view of you're a parent and your kid says that she's transgender, right? They're not really and- written from the perspective of like, you're a transgender 12-year-old and like the world is really scary for you right now. Like those stories are not getting written, right? So Before, this is from one of the front page articles that ran in the New York Times earlier this year. I think this is the one from from June. You can't even narrow down the front page articles doing trans panic stuff anymore. It says, <laughs> in other families, a teenager's decision to come out was a source of prolonged conflict. F, now 18 and living in Maryland, started identifying as a trans boy and binding his breasts in seventh grade. His mother told me, that when she found out, she told F she didn't believe anyone was born in the wrong body. Later, she went to a protest at a gender clinic in Washington, D.C., which upset F. So <laughs> this is entirely told from the perspective of a mom who basically told her trans kid, you're not really trans, and then went to like a hate rally, <laughs> basically, like a rally and outside this of a gender happened- clinic. And this happened when, like, starting when they were in seventh grade, and they're now presumably living independently, exactly, and estranged from this parent. Like, this is not a recent or passing phase, or yes. you know. And they just, and we're just told that, like, wow, this, wow, what a source of conflict. 
And like, I don't think it was the transness that created the conflict in this family, right? It's like over and over again, these articles, some of which include, just openly include like, oh, we worked with this anti-trans advocacy group to meet parents, right? Or like these parents have joined deranged Facebook groups. I feel like this is akin to uh, some parents are extremely concerned lately that their child is dating someone from the opposite race. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, uh, right? I mean, it's just like reporting on this kind of phobia that 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 is, is presenting it as like a legitimate concern instead of what it is. Right. right? I, I, like, I'm sure those parents are upset too. But like, I don't need a feature article about how those parents <laughs> – feel villainized and like, oh, these poor parents, like, oh, I went to a KKK rally because like my daughter dated a black guy. It's like, I, okay, I'm sure that happened, but like. <laughs> these woke liberals are teaching the history of the civil war and right. reconstruction. And now my daughter's <laughs> right. dating a black guy. What are we going to do about this? You know, it's like, just, what I guess we'll ban, we'll ban the books. That's what yeah. we do. Right. Like. I mean, well, I think there's me- a reason that De- DeSantis in Florida, like there's a reason that critical race theory and trans moral panic are going together hand in hand on the right yeah. right now, I think, right? Yeah, it's all the same reactionary nonsense. And it's this weird, I, I, I feel like this was this was something that we've seen throughout time. Like I, I did some work a couple of years ago on the desegregation, like the busing, the forced busing debate. And all the parents, none of the parents were like, I'm I'm racist and I would like my daughter not to go to school in a diverse school. No one said that, right? It was all about local control. It was technical. Like people don't make arguments explicitly being like, I'm I'm uncomfortable with change. I'm uncomfortable with people who are different than me. And like, so you have to see it underneath it. But what's so frustrating to me about these journalists where like that's basically their job is to like look yes. underneath what people are saying and try to give some historical context of like, we went through this in living memory with gay people, right? Like all this stuff about, I, I, I've been doing a project for the last couple of months where I'm looking at the old arguments against gay marriage. And we saw the same stuff with language, right? The, the You'd find articles in the National Review about like the Orwellian effort to call two women wives or two men husbands. Locker right? rooms then, also. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it was all this basically distractions from the basic issue, right? Because I, I, what, what frustrates me is the sort of the hijacking of like moderate centrist. I mean, to the extent that those people exist ideologically anyway is a, a whole debate. But it's like to me the sort of moderate left position on this is just so clear. It's like we have a very well-documented marginalized minority, right? We have high rates of hate crimes, high rates of depression, suicide, lower wages, et cetera. Trans people face homelessness. Homelessness. Trans people face really well-documented discrimination. And what they are asking for is equality, right? Protection and civil rights, institutions that that match their needs, right? These are extremely basic asks, right? And what we've gotten for years now, and especially in the last couple of months, is a series of just like bullshit distractions, right? Of like, look how mean the trans people are to Dave Chappelle. Look how mean they are to J.K. Rowling. And like, look, they want you to say pregnant people and not pregnant women. And it's just this like, who cares, man? The whole- J.K. Rowling, the real victim here. Good God. (laughs) And it's just over and over again, you look at like the things that we end up debating on this. And it's like, why? The actual case for trans rights is unassailable. This is a group just like everybody else. Everybody deserves equal rights. And like what they're asking for is reasonable. And yet it's like people find these reasons to be like, oh, does they really deserve it? Or like the people keep trying to make it more complicated than it is. And it just isn't that complicated. And it's so obvious 
that this whole like kids thing is just a, a very deliberate rebrand when the bathroom bills didn't work, right? They tried to pass a bunch of bathroom bills. North Carolina finally passed one. Everybody freaked out. You know, Hollywood says they weren't going to film movies there. Bruce Springsteen pulled out. And then a year later, we start seeing these like, well, what about the children? We're going to ask things about the children. And it's just like, oh, it's this playbook, right? It's the people who are different in yeah. society are recruiting your kids. By the way, I want to let Ryan jump in because he's he's slow on the on the jump there. He'll never get in uh, with the three of us. But uh, first, I want to say also I saw a tweet that shows how confused some of these reactionaries are. It was like a tweet with uh, like someone at a urinal looking at the camera like upset that like seemingly a, a trans woman was standing up and peeing in the urinal. And 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 the, and the commentary on the, on the tweet was like, wait, this is the bathroom you want them to go to. What are you talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah. You were objecting. Yeah. What do you want them to do? You want them not to be able to, to pee anywhere? Like, right. what's, what, have you figured out what your objection is? What's going I on? I mean, the, the bathroom thing, you guys can see me on the zoom call. Our listeners can't see me, but you know, if a law is passed that I have to go into, you know, a woman's bathroom, then I have to either say, okay, this law is here to harass people who look less gender conforming than me. I'm just going to use the men's room because nothing's ever going to happen to me. Or I could, you know, do a malicious compliance, go into the yeah, women's yeah. room and get arrested yeah. because I look, I sound, my, I had a mask on earlier and my mom didn't recognize me because she's older and, and still really remembers me as a girl. She thought a strange man was coming up to her. <laughs> I mean, she's not, she's not old enough to have dementia, but she just got confused for a minute because it was like, you know, who, who are you? I'm not looking for this, you know? Yeah. The, 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 that one's a particularly strange, um, idea that that you're going to you're going to set up like sort of gender inspection uh checkpoints right. at every public bathroom right and this is th we're gonna th especially coming from people like jk rowling we're gonna defend women by by setting up genital inspection checkpoints <laughs> or like like chromosomal you know we're gonna put the, your blood in a centrifuge before you can take a piss um yeah, the, we're we're defending women by doing that. Tracking periods of teenagers who, who want to play on sports teams. Normal I mean, stuff. is this a normal society doing well? Everything <laughs> just teenagers <laughs> reporting their bodily functions to the authorities. Normal. But um, yeah, you know, I I I I wanted to like the this journalistic aspect is is interesting to me. Um. You know, as as I said at the at the beginning, at the top, uh, you know, we've had, according to Tom Skoka, uh, fifteen thousand words of front page New York Times articles, uh, just doing like trans panic, um, and at the same time, we've we've had this uh, right wing, you know, persecution of like just straight up bigoted bills. That go way beyond any of even the stuff that is nominally sort of justified in the New York Times article. We have total bans on sports. You know, no trans people can participate in the, you know, gender. I mean, especially like trans women in uh, 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 women's sports um, restrictions or I think recently outright bans in several states on trans health care of any kind. Yeah. Um, but children or adults in, I think, Arkansas and Texas, those bills have been pr proposed. I don't think they've, yeah, I don't think they've passed any for adults yet, but they have passed bans, like total bans 
doesn't matter if the parents and the doctors all agree that this is the right intervention. You just absolutely can't get it in this state. The courts, of course, are going to have to look at it. And they've proposed ones on adults. They've Some of them try to target young adults. So it's like, well, until the age of 26, but then after that, it's fine. And then some of them are now openly just saying, we just want to ban this completely. Yeah. You've got mandated reporting um, for for people in schools. You've got you've got to you know tell the 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 schools have to tell the parents or the doctors have to tell the parents about what whatever um, that's familiar in the uh, uh, pregnancy context. Um, you know, bathroom bills those are coming those are are coming out as well. Um, and it, it it's curious to me, you know, because like I got I got a I got to make a little bit of a confession here. I I used to be friends with Jesse Single. Uh, he had the same job as I did at the Washington Monthly many years ago. And uh, we were both on the same side in the Gamergate uh, uh, mm. story, if you remember that. That was 2014. This is like reactionary, pan, you know, vi- ethics and video games journalism. I bet v- listeners have heard that yeah. phrase. And me and me and him were on the side of you 4chan Nazis are full of shit. Uh, and, you know, you've you've gotten totally, you know, it's a bunch of nonsense. You can look up the Wikipedia article if you're interested in the incredibly complicated details. And after that, you know, he started, he, he did like science journalism. Um, and, you know, he wasn't especially focused, I don't think, on trans stuff. He wrote tons of articles about men who have sex with men, for straight men specifically, uh, for, for, for a number of years. He wrote like five or six articles about that. Um, but he got on this, the, tr- the trans beat and sort of like got down this, I don't know, what seemed to me, Either, you know, sort of sort of indulging in latent prejudice or getting down the sort of uh, social media polarization rabbit hole uh, it went from someone who was writing articles about like trans activists harassing, you know, people who are doing sort of like inconvenient, possibly research on detransitioning, blah, 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 like like. Uh, okay, we're sort of raising questions in a reasonably responsible fashion to just like straight up, like uh, I think Tom Skoka said, he curdled into a obsessive anti-anti-trans uh, rights personality, and that's when I was like, but just the, I could I could tell you know, you know, like like I said before, I grew up in the nineties. Uh, when in the 2000s, when 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 homophobia was de rigueur and that it was, you know, when some of my my friends came out when I was in high school, it was like, oh, shit, uh, that, you know, like I it, it took some some dealing, you know, it was a journey. Uh, and and it was sort of it was a similar story with trans stuff. But I when I saw Jesse going and just like that pr- progressively and that. Uh, starting his Substack, and then this is all he writes about all the time. We're like, okay, man, you are taking this way too seriously, and you know, eventually, just you know, I tried to talk to him a couple of times, but I've just since broken off all contact because he just seems to be totally irredeemable. Like he's just lost it, and I've seen that happen to a number of people. Um, uh, Graham, uh, what's his name? 
Um, Father Ted. Yeah, yeah, Glinner. J.K. Rowling, I think. Uh, I think she was actually, I have... The more I, the more I like go back and, 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 and like think about Harry Potter, I, I think she actually is a lot more vicious than, than, uh, uh, I originally anticipated, but I think that sort of process happened to her as well. And so I, I don't know, like, I certainly don't want to say that, that, that it was, it was the case that, you know, that like people, they, they, they did some light transphobia and then they got criticized uh, for it online. And then therefore it was the fault of the people that criticized them that they went down this hole. I, I think it's maybe more that this is like a classic type of like aging person sort of like backing themselves into reactionary opinions possibly. Uh, but I think that probably my hypothesis at least is that this is what has happened to a lot of these New York Times reporters and the people at the top who I suspect strongly are driving, they're assigning this shit. They're saying they're doing the James, uh, J Jonah Jameson thing, pounding the table, uh, Spider-Man go out and get me some D transitioners. You know, uh, <laughs> that that's the, the psychological mechanism here. So, uh, I don't know, Mike, Michael, do you, do you think that's a plausible, um, analysis of it or or do you have a better theory i mean i don't know what's going on with any individual journalist but what i will say is there's a weird performance of journalistic objectivity at the heart of this right because a lot of these articles there's been six front page articles on like the tricky debate over trans kids in new york times this year right front page articles there's been no front page articles feature stories gathering together the threats against trans kids, right? So if you're looking at sort of these agenda-setting articles, you would think that there's like a really important debate about <laughs> trans kids and medicine. Like that that's the impression I think that most people have gotten. And there's – whenever you criticize any of the journalists behind these pieces, what you often hear is like, well, all we're doing is saying that there's a debate, right? All we're doing is describing the fact that people are on different sides of this and there's a spectrum of opinion or something. And it's it, it on the surface, it sounds really responsible, right? Of like, well, there is, I mean, factually speaking, like, yes, there is a debate within medicine. Like there's a, there, there's a debate within every field of medicine <laughs> at all times. There's a debate within every academic field at all times, right? But it's this, it's, it's this injection of smoke into the American public consciousness while, while not describing the lack of any fire, right? Because I have read right. all of these articles. They're, Almost identical. Most of them are identical to Jesse's original cover story in The Atlantic in 2018. They're not really doing anything new. Oftentimes they have exactly the same sources, like the same actual named individuals will appear in four or five, six of these articles. And none of them actually weigh the evidence for and against are too many kids transitioning, right? And when you look at it, all of the evidence, as we've just covered, is that not very many kids are transitioning, and those who are transitioning are extremely happy. 99% of kids are not regretting these surgeries. And then, on the other hand, you have a bunch of anecdotes. You have stories of, like, this person yep. and that person, and a lot of the anecdotes don't even match the evidence, right? So, uh, you know, if, if you look at these stories, you'll find these detransitioners, many of whom got surgeries as adults, there's a woman, Grace Ladinsky-Smith, who's included in one of the New York Times articles, who got surgery at age 23. And however you feel about somebody getting a mastectomy, mastectomy at age 23, it's not really relevant to whether kids are getting 
mastectomy is too fast, right? And over and over again, you find examples that just don't fit the thesis at all. So it's like on one hand, you have medical science, medical institutions. And then on the other hand, you have a bunch of anecdotes, but the anecdotes don't even fucking work, right? If I was writing an article about school shootings, I'd have some shootings that happened in a school, right? (laughs) I wouldn't have like this guy got stabbed and this other guy like fell down and tripped and broke his nose, It's like, those aren't school shootings, Mike. Your article is about (laughs) school shootings. You need to have examples of your central thesis, right? And so there's some weird thing where people have managed to like turn off their brains and see smoke, right? Or this sort of slippery slope to something as identical to all of this actual evidence on the other side. And and I, I think bias has to play a part. And then some of it is just kind of journalistic convention of like, well, there, there must be a good argument on both sides. This is, I, I think there are a lot of people who really try to reverse engineer their position from trans people are on one side, extreme transphobes are on the other, exactly in the middle. That's probably right. And like, there are some trans people who are a little out there, but like, you're going to be over here. You're not going to be in the middle if you're looking at the evidence, if you're taking, you know, if you're if you're trying to take as unbiased a view as possible. And I think people just think, well, I'm unbiased if I come in like right between where I say, well, some trans kids maybe can transition sometimes, but we need to be really, really cautious. And these concerns are important. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of the dumb way of appearing you know, balanced, appearing rational, appearing concerned, but you're not actually making the judgments it's, and weighing the evidence. It's worse than that. I, yeah. I feel like it's even worse <laughs> than that because imagine, I mean, first of all, we have to think about why don't they do this with like climate change? It's, it's akin yeah. to like when Fox News shows a snowy day is like, see those climate change crazies, you know, it's snowing. Look, the, the, the planet isn't warming, there's snow. Um, but more than that, I think that like besides wanting to be balanced, People like Jesse and others, they're the brave journalists going against the woke mob. You know what I mean? Like they fancy themselves as being seen as like willing to take – like they love to get piled on on Twitter because then that shows their street cred. We're willing to say the thing nobody will say because everyone is just you know going with the, the cultural hegemony or whatever, right? And so I mean that to me gives a reason why they don't actually care that it makes no sense scientifically, right? Because they get to perform being that – kind of brave journalist. Well, it's interesting when you were talking about, you know, people's origin stories. I, my most viral piece of writing ever, and almost certainly will be for the rest of my life. It it was a little piece for Slate called Why I'm Still a Butch Lesbian, (laughs) about how I was definitely not transgender and never going to transition. Hell yeah. (laughs) And yeah. And I had a lot of kind of of these... Turfy, transphobic sort of beliefs at that time. And I really believed that, like, yeah, I feel gender dysphoria. Probably all women feel gender dysphoria. And, you know, the, the decent thing to do is not talk about it or go calling yourself a man. That's embarrassing. And I need to, like, tamp down on these kids who are going around expressing this desire that, you know, that I have. But I tell that story not because I think any of these journalists have that going on. What brought me out of it was all of these horrible, bigoted turfs started telling me how much they liked my article. 
and they were awful and they treated people terribly. And I was like, oh shit, I am not on the right side of this. I need to like block all of these people or ignore or block all of these people and figure out what trans people are saying because like they are clearly, you know what I mean? Like I, and I do think that, you know, trans people weren't really mean about my article. If both people had been mean, maybe I would have, it would have been less clear to me. But I do feel like there has to be something in people where, like, you got to look around at who's on your side and be like, are we the baddies moment? Right. You know what yes. I mean? <laughs> There's also, I mean, I, I come to this as someone who's looked into a lot of uh, previous moral panics. And one thing that always drives me nuts is that journalists never see their own power in kind of agenda setting, right? The, the thing they teach you on the yeah. first day of journalism school is that newspapers don't tell you what to think. They tell you what to think about, right? And this – what what we've had so many times before is the elevation of non-representative anecdotes into trends, right? So in the 1990s, we had yep. the hot coffee lawsuit, the McDonald's thing where like this lady sued McDonald's and she got millions, right? And of course, that wasn't remotely true, but we got a string of anecdotes of people who who allegedly sued corporations and made millions. And it ended up entrenching in the population this idea that it was easy to sue corporations, <laughs> which is like just an absurd idea, right? But if you get enough anecdotes floating around – you can believe these things that are just like patently untrue, right? And we got it with Stranger Danger, where it was a tiny number of cases per year, but these were amplified. And something like a third of Americans thought that their kids had a 50-50 chance of getting kidnapped in the 1990s. This was extremely widespread, just straight up false beliefs. And those false beliefs had like really measurable negative consequences in the world, right? Like a, a much smaller percentage of kids walk and bike to school now than used to. And there's this huge like – you know, kids are getting arrested and parents are getting arrested for their kids just going out in public. Like we've had a real entrenchment of this kind of law and order bullshit as a result of these false beliefs. And what drives me nuts about this kind of journalism that is almost entirely anecdote based is none of the people practicing it seem to understand that they're playing with a loaded gun and that there there's a very good chance that large percentages of the population now believes that, you know, if your kid says that they're trans, you definitely shouldn't get them an appointment at the gender clinic because they're just going to get pushed into transition too fast, right? Or they shouldn't socially transition at school because, oh, immediately, you know, that's going to lead to all of these other outcomes and, oh, they're not really trans and let's wait, wait, wait. And, you know, I, I, I've spoken to parents with trans kids and like this is seeping into like their families. You know, they'll have cousins and parents who are like, well, I read in the Atlantic about like a lot of these trans kids aren't really trans. And it's like this is a false belief that is actually – affecting people, even if you don't think that it's leading to the the right-wing bills, which I think is absurd and I think it very obviously is, but even if you reject that, just a, a huge – having a huge percentage of the population think that like oh, a lot of these trans kids aren't really trans and a lot of these doctors are just going to kind of shove kids into surgical procedures, that's having real negative impacts. And like I wish – I wish that journalists would have an actual reckoning with the fact that like – no one gets into journalism to not affect anybody's opinion. They know that they are affecting public opinion. All of us are. And there's a real responsibility that comes along with that. And you have to clearly convey to people, I am speaking from anecdotes right now, as opposed to I'm speaking from actual evidence. Yeah. The, um, as I was saying before about science journalism, you know, it's like, we're talking about empirical questions about, you know, medicine, medical care, 
population level dynamics, Mil literally millions of people. So how do you report on that? Well, you go into the studies, you talk to the yeah. scientists, you don't talk to individual people who may and probably do have an ax to grind. Right. Um, one of the, I, I just want to mention this real quick because I'm still bitter about it. Uh, almost 10 years later, Emily Bazelon is one of the, uh, 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 journalists who wrote one of these front page articles. Uh, here's, here's a piece from her in Slate in 2013, December 20, December 18th, 2013, when Democrats still held the Senate. Stop telling Ruth Bader Ginsburg to retire. It's <laughs> counterproductive. Um, so I, I actually really like Emily Bazelon's work, to be totally honest. I, I, I use a lot of her shaken baby research when I was doing an episode on that for You're Wrong About. And like what I think is yeah. actually very scary about this is there's a lot of like – Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying journalists. it's okay to shake babies? No. It's okay to shake babies? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was right about that. That's next time babies. I come on. That's the next counterintuitive <laughs> okay, okay. idea. That's my, okay, that's okay. my TED talk. Okay. Uh, but I, I mean a lot of – one thing that's so weird to me about this is a lot of these front page stories are written by quite diligent reporters. Like one of the women yeah. who wrote the book on Me Too wrote one of these articles as well. And I, I I don't understand, but I actually think that like as a left-wing project, it is really important to understand the mechanism by which people who are capable of using their critical faculties and assessing the arguments of both sides and looking at evidence shut off those capacities when it comes to this issue. And I, I don't have a good explanation. If you guys have a few more minutes, I'd like to ask, yeah, Evan, just to, to expand what Michael just said to not just journalism, but like TERFs generally, especially because you mentioned uh, that there are some, I mean, TERFs have good critiques of, um, you know, toxic masculinity and patriarchy. And like, like as Michael said, there, there are very thoughtful people that have gone way wrong uh, here. And maybe we, it's important to try to understand where they're coming from. Uh, so what thoughts do you have on that? Um, well, I, I also am kind of a fan of Emily Bazelon, and I listened to her talking about her story um, on the Slate Political Gab Fest because I'm a, you know, Slate person and I listened to that. Um, anyway, she was much clearer that the evidence supports this care it, when she was speaking off the cuff in the podcast than I felt like it came through in yeah. the article. So I do yeah. Yeah. kind of suspect that there's an editorial process yep. that is putting a thumb on the scale. Um, yeah. And maybe it's just that I like Emily, but you know, I don't know her personally. Um, in terms of critiques, yeah. So if you talk about actual TERFs, which uh, trans-exclusionary – radical feminist gets kind of thrown around a lot. Most of the people who are transphobic in the United States of America are conservative Republicans. Occasionally conservative Republicans will... Have you heard conservative Republicans? You probably haven't, because I'm the one that like scrolls right-wing headlines on trans issues all day. Conservative Republicans will be like, we need to save Title IX for women. And it's like, you don't believe in Title IX. Yeah. You hate Title IX. Why are you writing this as a Republican that like Title IX needs to be saved because trans women are in sports? That is ridiculous. But when you talk about actual trans exclusionary radical feminists, I do think that there is um, – there was really a belief that what being trans meant was, uh, you know, that your gender role was the same as like your sex and that they really were afraid that like masculine women wouldn't be able to exist 
and um and feminine men wouldn't be able to exist and gay men wouldn't be able to exist and i think that for many of them that was a real fear um where all that came from was that there were these old um the harry benjamin uh guidelines for how to transition and basically you had to be completely gender conforming and trans people, trans women especially, would kind of share with one another, like, always go in in a skirt, hmm. always do makeup, because they they wouldn't give you access to hormones or um, or surgeries or anything unless you role-played the most feminine. And they also had very horrible, like, appearance standards. So basically, if you were ugly, like, it didn't kind of almost didn't matter how feminine you presented. Hmm. They would still be like, yeah, we think you're faking it. Um. So a lot of this belief that what trans people are doing is kind of enacting absurd stereotypes came from this period when trans people were for forced to enact absurd stereotypes in order to get medical care. Um, and I do think that, you know, if you look at trans people, we're kind of the last people who are, you know, I'm actually a fairly gender conforming dude. Um, but like, there are many, many gay trans men who are very feminine, who like to wear dresses sometimes. We're kind of more likely to play with gender and to just do what we want. Because if you've gone through all of the, you know, hassle of transitioning, you don't really feel like, you know, fitting yourself into a box. Um, and even I, I mean, this is a ridiculous story, but I was dating this cis woman who had mostly dated cis men and the ideas that she had about what our roles were and who we had to be and what I felt and how like it was just awful I was like I hate this like <laughs> you know like th th these roles are really uh you know constricting for people it's just the trans people are more trying to break them down but also you know um I think some people believe that if we broke those rolls down, trans people wouldn't need medical care. And, you know, certainly yeah. for me and for many trans people, it's really just, you know, I never felt happy when I looked in the mirror until the time I first put on a binder. And like, it just got better and better once I like about a year after I first put on a binder, I started, you know, testosterone, it took me about three years before I was kind of pretty consistently cis male passing. And like, I just got more and more able to like, just look myself in the eye and like, feel like, you know, comfortable. And that's not about like, I wear a binder at home alone. You know, <laughs> like, it's not about what other people are seeing. Um, if anything, I wish, you know, masculine gender roles were a little less, you know, constraining, and I was a little less viewed that way. But I would still want the medical kind of side. But of that it. seems like so much of the sense of threat, I feel like among the cisgenders that I, I remember this because nobody else appears to, but in the 1990s, <laughs> Ryan, when we were growing up, like there was a lot of controversy about the fact that sexuality was a spectrum. And it was like, it was like a hot take to talk about the fact that like bisexuals exist. And I, I was a high school kid who was like deeply closeted and I had only like straight male friends. And once I came out, my job throughout the entire like late nineties was to like coddle their emotions on like dealing with having a close gay friend and like the culture changing around them. And, and I, I remember very vividly over and over again, explaining to them like the sexuality spectrum and them feeling the sense of threat and being like, well, I'm not bisexual. And it's like, okay, man, like, I believe you. I, I, I'm really not trying to take anything away from you. I don't think you want to kiss a dude. I believe you, but other people say that they're bisexual and I'm going to believe them because I have no real reason not to believe them. People say they're asexual. I'm going to believe them. Right. Other people exist. 
you can still be straight. I trust you. I believe you. It's fine. And I feel like there's something very similar happening now where it's like there's so much yeah. more gender fluidity, especially among young people. You go out and like there's like teenage boys at the mall and they're like wearing like uh, eyeliner or, or makeup and like Harry Styles is doing whatever the hell Harry Styles is doing with dresses. And it's like you look around and it's like all of a sudden this thing that used to be really fixed is like, oh, shit, there's like people playing around with it. And it's like, well, I'm not trans. And it's like, dude. Yeah, I get it. You, I, I believe you. <laughs> Most people yeah, aren't yeah. trans. You don't have to wear makeup. You don't have to wear nail polish. It's fine. But it's like people need <laughs> yeah. this reassurance. Like your life is the not going to have to change. It has to be. Yeah. Right. I, Wait, and there, wasn't there also, uh, and maybe to some extent today, I, what am I, what do I know? I'm a cis, a straight guy, but like, I, I heard that there was a pushback against bisexuality even being a thing from the queer community. Oh from yeah. People yeah. That yeah, thought, yeah. That, right. So can, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause that, that, that's also a, a kind of fear of uh, a threat to the movement. And I'm thinking of a parallel to TERFs who are afraid of feminism being kind of undermined somehow or something. Like yeah. That. I mean, I think a lot of that, I, I like, I've dated various bi guys and they say that it's like, they get rejected by the straight community and they get rejected by the gay community because it's like both people think that they don't really exist, right? Well, no one's really bi, right? Or like the um, the last bi guy that I dated used to always joke that Kristen Stewart, every time she was dating somebody, the tabloids would be like, I guess she's not really bi. She's dating a man. I guess she's not really bi. She's dating a woman. <laughs> and every time bisexuals are like, no, they that's, know the, this works. that's the point. You can, you can date people and still be bi. But it's like this kind of yeah. relentless, like kind of taking an identity away from somebody. And I think there is this weird sense of threat as opposed to like other people are just going to be different from you. And like trans people wherever, in the bathroom, whatever they're doing, it doesn't affect you, right? And when you look back at, especially the gay marriage debate, the the fucking hysterics that we got from conservatives, right? It's like the foundation of society, right? Marriage, the family foundation. Once you change that, it's all going to come crumbling down. Of course, they now say that gender is the foundation of society, right? Whatever's changing is the foundation of society if we change it. But it's all these like weird symbolic arguments, right? With nothing behind them. It's like, well, wait a minute. We're talking about a man-made institution, marriage, of just including other people in it, it doesn't in any material way affect your marriage. And looking back, like those all arguments were correct, right? Like nothing, nothing really changed. I'm not married to a horse. None of that, none of that slippery slope <laughs> stuff came true. And it's the well, same. I think thing. it's also it's really important for people of of our age, like I'm, you know, 45. Just understand that teenagers are going to be weird and alienating yes. and scary and. You know, just because the teenagers are kind of experimenting with different pronouns or, you know, wearing different styles of clothes, like all of those people are not going to get medical interventions. Yes. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to create a gender, a post-gender utopia. Maybe they're going to kind of grow up yeah. and get sort of conservative and look a lot like the rest of us. Right. But you do not like it is the most natural thing in the world to be scared and alienated by what, you know, 17 to 23 year olds are doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I don't also, panic. I, I also think, you know, so much of this comes uh, comes down to like, well, what if it's a phase, right? My daughter says she's trans. Turns out she's not, you know. I, all of this to me is an argument to let kids do as much experimentation as possible, right? And the way to yes. find out if you're trans is to have parents who say, we love you no matter what. And a school yes. that says, if you want to use she, her pronouns, we will absolutely do that. However you want to dress, however your hair is, let's do that for you, right? And let you really explore it. And that, to me, is the the bald bad faith of this entire panic because we've now seen a graduation 
of the anti-trans movement from, oh, I'm just worried about the, the irreversible medical procedures, right, to they're now panicking over social transition, right? We just got yeah. a New York Times, a front page New York Times article panicking about all the parents who are really mad that their schools, their kids' schools let them socially transition without telling them, right? And this is, by definition, reversible. It's the easiest thing. You can go to Target and get a new set of clothes and get a haircut, and you're back to using the pronouns that you used to have, right? The only reason to be against letting a kid socially transition is bigotry, right? There's no other reason. The only thing that you need to do for your kid in that situation is to say, I love you no matter what. I love you for trans. I love you for non-binary. Feel free to experiment with that identity. We're going to give you that space to do it, right? And then you cross the bridge of the irreversible stuff. When you get to the irreversible stuff, there's no reason to police this shit. And I, I really try to tell parents, if there are any parents listening, you know, your love is going to come through for your kid. If you really feel like you need to put the brakes on the medical side, but you really do love them and you use their pronouns and you use their name, they'll be fine. They can wait a little longer. You know what I mean? Like, I think people really think that if they're going to affirm their kid, they have to say yes to everything. I talked to, you know, I talk about like, what's a reasonable ask? Like, if your kid came and said they think they're a boy, you don't have to buy them an entire wardrobe of clothes if you can't afford that. Buy them, you know, a baseball hat. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, it, it'll be fine. Do what's reasonable. You'll mess up occasionally. It doesn't mean you're anti-trans. They may scream at you and say you're anti-trans. They probably will. They're a teenager. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It's just don't <laughs> shut the door. Yeah. Don't refuse. Yeah. Don't say, no, you're not. You know what I mean? Just, like, kind of go with it and and – if you get comfortable and if you start to believe that medical interventions yeah. are right for your kid, that's fine. And, and maybe maybe admit that, you know, as a parent, you're scared and you don't know what the hell it's like to be th that kid and you don't know what's going on. And uh, instead of being the authority who's telling them the way that things are, right? Like, I, I think that's a much smarter move. Be like, I'm lost here. I don't know yeah. what to do. Right? Yeah. Well, and that, Definitely. I mean, I think there's a, there's a strain of, you know, sort of traditional American thought here, which is very very useful in this context, which is that like, well, it's none of my business, you know, to, to, to be like, yes. well, uh, I don't, maybe I don't get it. Maybe I don't fully understand, but like my kid wants to do this, this or that thing. And I'm just going to have to sort of roll with it as best I can. Um, yeah. And or get educated or learn about it actually. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, well, the, or, you know, <laughs> I mean, but the, the, the instinct I want to, you know, the, 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 like the sort of libertarian Wyoming, you know, compound dweller, you know, just be like, well, I, you know, maybe I don't really think about it, but when it comes to yeah. people's bodily autonomy, mm -hmm. they ought to be able to take whatever hormones they want to take, you know, like, yeah. That I think that's Absolutely. a valuable uh, uh, instinct to cultivate, and in fact, it, it reminds me of uh, I don't know if you if you guys have read uh, the the culture books by Ian M. Banks um, about it's a sci-fi uh, you know future uh, what is it a, a, a space opera basically you know so you so you have like very it's not hard science fiction it's like far futures uh where you know you've got magic science basically and one one of the things that you can do you can live forever if you want and you can do anything with your body whatever you want to you can you can never have sickness at all or you can get sick if you want to or you can uh, change your gender 
uh, however, however you want, just by thinking about it, in fact, as I recall. Um, you've got drug glands in your brain, so you can you can you can be doped up or take Adderall or what something like that. And one thing that happens in those books is um, people, you know, they're born from one gender, and then after a couple hundred years, they get bored and they switch to the other gender just out of curiosity. Sometimes, or they, there's like a the most meaningful relationship you can have with someone is to get. Uh, get with them and then both switch genders to the other side at the same yes. time. So now you're both at the, at the, at the other end and then maybe back again. And that to me sounds like freedom, you know, yeah. like, like that you, you could you, to, to, to be able to do whatever you want to do with your, your body, your sexuality, your gender and how that is expressed, uh, you know, in society. I and also think. We have the worst fucking centrists in this country. That, <laughs> that to me is like the actual centrist position, right? Yeah. You don't even have to get into this like woo-woo stuff about like gender spectrum or the biology stuff. I love that shit. But like the the centrist moderate position on this should be something like get a grip, right? It, who yeah. cares? If people are yelling at J.K. Rowling on the internet, it doesn't matter, right? There is a very, very clear, like, justice, civil rights issue here that is extremely clean cut, right? Keep our eyes on the prize. There is a right-wing, unprecedented – really, this is so much worse than the anti-gay stuff. There's an unprecedented legislative effort to ban books, to ban procedures, to ban shit like drag queen brunches, which aren't even sexual. Like, they – none of these people seem to know what a fucking drag – show is but like there's a massive reactionary backlash going on right now and like you don't even need to be into all the like flying the pro trans flag whatever the actual moderate position is get a grip there is a group that needs our help right now they're under extremely well documented attack now is not the time to be nitpicking about like these dumb anecdotes that aren't backed by any evidence about care what we need to highlight and and tell the rest of the country is that this is a group that deserves basic human dignity and is under attack right now. They need our help. That's the message. And to right? be to be fair, I think that's because centrists are, are almost never benign because they they have this interplay with the reactionary right that facilitates their power in, in a way that the left is trying to fight, and that's why they often punch left rather than punch right. fight the right. Right. And it's, this happens on race. This happens on class. This happens on so many fronts. So centrists are extremists. <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I think there's this constant conflation by our like pundit class. I'm very obviously subtweeting a specific person here right now, but it, between things that annoy you and things that threaten <laughs> other people and like my tweets, other people's tweets are annoying. I get it. But there are people under threat right now. And I don't know that we need another column about like how my tweets are bad or how people are mean to Dave Chappelle or something like <laughs> the, 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 you can write about literally anything. There's a huge opportunity cost with being a columnist. You can write about one thing a week, Right. Why are you writing again about how the trans people or the activists or whatever annoyed you when like the important thing to focus people's attention on right now is what is happening in the country? And we have a emboldened authoritarian movement that is using trans rights to weasel its way in to all of these other rollbacks, right? Like 
Obergefell is now kind of back on the table. Like there's the things things Very are much. bad, and it's like we don't need another column about how you can't even say pregnant women anymore. Shut the fuck up. Get a grip. <laughs> Tell people what is happening in the country. Where's Connor Friedersdorf and all the free speech people who were upset about like safe spaces and, and college Jesus kids Christ. now that there's actual fucking books being banned? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where are the free where are these people? The yeah, the 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 interesting side side uh, context to the uh gender stuff if you if you if you read this trans healthcare uh bans like strictly it would it would ban shit like hair plugs or testosterone <laughs> treatment i think this is a, like an important context for the 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 re- like probably the vast majority of gender confirmation like medical treatment is yeah. Uh, uh, cisgendered people getting stuff to make them feel more cisgendered. Breast implants, yeah. uh, 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 hair plugs, or 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 hair. What's that? There's a drug. I forget what it's called. To, to make your hair grow, regenerate. Yeah. Um. The all that type of stuff. Viagra, in fact, it's a sure. similar type of shit. And. Um, you know, that this it's just it's all about like how we live in society and the number, you know, of trans people who who uh exist, like it's just a minor threat to me. And if and it, and it's like <laughs> you're willing to accept the threat. threat. We really try to be very we try to be a little thinking, thinking about like the worst worst case scenario, what is it what the trans the transgender conspiracy, what what do we what do they want to do to be like, well we need to make medical care extremely accessible for everyone. Yeah. Uh, that like, all right, I'm on board. Scary. Like, That's scary. Even if That's I'm insanely bigoted, I'm going for that. I haven't had a yeah. physical in like six years. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I, uh, the, 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 this is so far down the list of things that I should be worrying about that it's, it's just preposterous. And so, you know, I, uh, support it, trans it, rights, it, get Ryan a physical. This that's is, right. This, exactly. If this is what gets you on board, Ryan. Intersectionality. <laughs> this is all about how we must prosper together. We will Do- we will all get uh gender uh confirmation surgery together or we will all <laughs> hang separately. <laughs> but anyway. Well thanks thanks to you both for joining us. If you have any final words, uh, you know, here's here's your opportunity. Uh sign up for Evan's website. Assigned media. It's really good. My website is good and important. It's good um, and important. It's yes. assigned media. What's assignedmedia.org. Um, I it's a daily uh although I sometimes let myself skip a weekend day. Uh it's coverage of anti-trans propaganda. Um a lot of that is, you know, a Fox News or a New York Post. Unfortunately, some of it is a New York Times or a New York magazine <laughs> or a Jonathan Chait, but you know, um, <laughs> I, I have a newsletter, I have a digest, you know, so people can kind of get a, you know, a weekly kind of rundown of what's going on with, uh, with this attack on trans people, which is relentless and constant, um, in right wing media and is infecting mainstream media, um, unfortunately. And I think probably will continue to be a very, very big issue, at least until the next presidential election, at which point, 
peace will reign across the land. Everything's going to be great. Yep. Climate change totally going to be fixed. Done. Just one more election, guys. Yep. It's all going to be good. Ryan will finally get a physical. One more. Right. That's, all we need. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm for it. <laughs> Wonderful. And how about you, Michael? Uh, I mean, I have two podcasts, Maintenance Phase and If Books Could Kill, that people should go listen to immediately. Awesome. That's right. Go, yeah, I, I'm. A, I have not listened to Maintenance Phase, but I have. I've been. I'm an OG listener to If Books Could Kill, and I've been killed by a book. Um, and so Wait, you which know, one? I, I listen to both. Truth and advertising. I love Maintenance. Oh phase. yeah. <laughs> well, but, thanks, guys. I'm also an OG Left Anchor listener, so this is this is a big treat for me. Oh. First time caller. Right on. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's not the last. Hope you they both come yeah. on again. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. And, and thanks everybody for listening. We'll, we'll see you in the next episode.